Oh, by the way, Brent, do you know yeah. Tom? Do you know Tom Robertson, the guy that made the Artemis <laughs> uh, Starship sim? No, no, I don't. Okay, because he was at Interplay as well, <sighs> like back then. Welcome Go everyone. <laughs> Hi everyone, we're going. <laughs> I'm here. I'm giving yeah, some feedback. Okay, because he was at. Oh, I'm getting feedback. Back then. Welcome, everyone. Oh yeah, Brent, you're you're watching the stream. Yeah, Brent, you might need to mute the stream. Oh, <laughs> uh, hang, hang yeah. on a sec. Yeah, you can have the video up, but not the audio. Oh yeah, Brent, you're you're watching the stream. Okay, hang on a sec. Alright, hang on a sec. Yeah, you can have the video up, but not the audio. Okay, hang on a sec. No worries. Hi everyone. One second. I just killed it. Okay. Yeah, because it the if you just there's the little audio slider at the bottom. If you just click if you on just the, kill the mute thing, thing in the video, it'll just mute it. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, hi everyone, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. <laughs> that was a little little impromptu stuff right there. Uh, I, as always, am your co-host Brian. Joining us, as always, is your co-host Jim. I'm in the space. And your co-host. It's dark in space. And cold. And your co-host, Hunter. I'm having some technical difficulties over here. Hey, what's up, everybody? We, we, we see you in here just fine. Uh, and folks, we have a guest this week joining us from just south of me in Orange County, uh, former employee at Interplay, Brent Cole, oh, I didn't even ask you how you say your name. Coleman, <laughs> Coleman'sburger. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Coleman'sburger. Right. All right. Uh, Brent worked on, uh, Klingon Academy, which was, which was released in 2000, which is why we have him on, because it's one of my all-time favorite games. But now, Brent is an indie developer with K-Dog Games, and also teaches kids how to make video games with, with, in a program called Coding with K-Dog. So welcome, Brent. Oh, thank you very much. Glad to be on with you guys. I gotta say, it is a joy to have you. I've been dying to talk to someone about Klingon Academy, and I'm I'm so happy I got you, because you you're not only credited with design, you're credited with stories. So you're you're one two punch. Oh, that's true. So, uh, back back in those days, the team sizes were pretty small, so it was easy to be credited with a lot. I mean. Um, there really were only two designers on the project, so. Oh, so there were two designers, so, and what did you, what, what was your, what portion of the design and the story did you work on? Um, well, uh, geez, there's not much that I didn't do. Um, yes! yes! So, um, so yeah, so as far as like mission structure and the story, um, I did, as far as the starship design, uh, the star systems design. My, the other designer, my co-designer is Ron Hodge. Um, and he, and so he's actually in Orange County too. And, um, he, we would work together to develop all the ship systems, you know, all the weapons that they have and the different, uh, races that there were. Uh, the thing that he did that I didn't have a part in, I don't know if you remember, we used to call it ginsuing when the ships would, when you'd hit a ship and it would break apart really beautifully. I did want to, I did want to ask you about that because I love that about this game. Yeah. So, so Ron, he was the one who went into the technical aspect and made all that happen. So that's the, probably the one area of the game that I didn't do, uh, was ginsuing. He handled all of that. 
But as far as I built all the star systems and uh, um, I'm the one who came up with the master spreadsheet that actually balanced the, all the game parts. Um, uh, basically all the different races of the game, all the different classes of the game. Uh, we all, we, Ron and I hashed them out as basically ratios of one another. And so there was a master spreadsheet that linked everything. So, but yeah, so pretty much everything. So I got to ask you, uh, my, there are two of my favorite things about the game are the Ginsu system that you mentioned, but my other favorite thing is the voice order system or the, the, the VOS. How much, yeah, yeah. How much work did you have in, in, in that? Um, all of it. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Now I'm just curious. Did you do, did you use the voiceover system with an actual uh, mic? There was a vendor we found right before we shipped. I sure did. I had a thing, oh. I had a thing called Game Commander back in the day. Yeah. And yes. yes. And I totally, back in the day, I had a profile set up with every damn command. Uh, and I'm actually doing that again. There's a thing called voice attack right now that uh-huh. like people that play Elite Dangerous and stuff use a lot, but you can use it with anything. So I've been slowly building a Klingon Academy profile. But yeah, back in the day, I totally used Game Commander and it made the game a billion times more awesome. I mean, not that it wasn't awesome to begin with, but that just added the immersion because it was amazing because it like simulated giving your crew orders in the best right. way you could at the time at the time with a uh, with a keyboard uh, with basically with a keyboard because you didn't really have voice commands used much back then so uh it was really an amazing system that just added so much immersion to the game that no really I don't think really any other game has really matched since to be honest with you yeah we we really wanted to deliver the feel of what it would be like to be on the starship and so we already had the crew giving you uh, feedback. Whenever you'd give an order, they would respond verbally. Or, you know, whenever there's something would happen, they would be giving you status updates. And so when, uh, when we, and then it turned out our menu system, you know, was, um, you know, growing complexity. And so we developed the voiceover system to try to make it easier to, uh, to control your ship. And then when we stumbled across that vendor, Unfortunately, it was right before we shipped, but I thought, wow, that is awesome. Because now you can just give your your commands verbally and your crew respond verbally. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, it was it was amazing. I mean, I played – see, I played it once through – I don't finish a lot of games, but I played it once through on its own without the voice thing. And then when I got the voice thing, I'm like, I need to play this again. So I played it all the way through. <laughs> I played it all the way through again with Game Commander, and it's just – I mean – I mean – Sitting there, like, you're still kind of flying the ship, so you're not totally a captain, but that, that's the thing. Like, Bridge Commander, did you ever play Bridge Commander? Yeah, I did not. I'm aware of it, but I did not play yeah, it. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, some people complained about Klingon Academy being, like, a, you're not a true captain because you're flying the ship. Sure, but if you take that away, like, kind of in Bridge Commander, it's so boring. It's so boring. Well, it's it's funny you mention that because a little funny story happened. You know, one of the things we had, we had a, a mode where you went into the gunnery chair. Yes, yes, yes. So, so when you're in the gunnery chair, the, the AI is flying, your crew are flying the ship. And you're focused purely on firing the ship's weapons. And there were actually people on the team at the time or somewhere was giving me feedback. They wanted me to allow you to um, basically turn over everything to the crew. So you weren't firing the weapons or flying the ship. 
And I <laughs> and I told him, you got to be kidding no, me. I am yeah. not going to make a game that plays itself. No, yeah. I mean, I I I've I usually I don't use the gunnery chair very much. I like that it's there, but I, I'm always it, it. I only use it like in some of the later ships that had like the full firing arc around the ship. Right. right. But I didn't yeah, even see. I, I didn't even use, I use it much it then. As, I use it as like a padlock view. It's just like where the heck is he? You know, and and can get some sort of a reference that way. Although I I wish that there was um like some different way of knowing which direction I was looking like in relation to my ship, almost like a, uh, like an external view where it would actually track the, the enemy. And then I could play it sort of like Starfleet command a little bit, right. you know, but it, it's, uh, I don't know if that's there. I didn't find it. So maybe you can clue me if it, if it is, and I'm just doing it wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, I really like the game. The, uh, the first review that I ever wrote, the, it was an amateur review, and then that's what actually got me picked up by the editor of a magazine that asked me to come write for him. Was I reviewed the original Starfleet Academy? Uh, um, which, yeah, Brian actually just read my <laughs> review. Um, but um, but my um, one of, one of the quotes in there was you know that that capital ships should sort of dance a, a ballet together, right, and not not dogfight. You know, it's not a turn and burn thing. And right. the, I think that your game was the one that actually captured that correctly because the, the initial game just did not. It was almost a wing commander in a, in a enterprise. So. Right. Yeah, but if well, I, if I, I'm sorry. If I recall, you didn't really have anything to do. I was looking at the credits. It didn't look like you had anything to do with the original uh, Starfleet Academy. No, no, no. Yeah, uh, Klingon Academy was a sequel to Starfleet Academy. Uh, the team was completely new. Um, I don't think we had anyone from that team. Really? Um, completely I, new? I, I think so. I think it was completely new uh, team. We And it's interesting you said that you wrote a review because that means I read it. Because we read every single review, every single forum feed, anything on Starfleet Academy, Ron and I did. Um, and we poured over that. And then from that, we made a list of requirements for the new game. And so Ooh. if you wrote a review, we probably read it, almost certainly. Oh, neat. Wow. And so, so I'm, I'm sorry. So, oh, wait. Well, <laughs> no, well, I didn't review your we, game. We, kind of, <laughs> we, we did kind of jump in the middle. So let's go back to the beginning. Like, Starfleet Academy came out. It did kind of get panned, but I guess it sold well enough to, to warrant a sequel. So how did you get involved with the sequel? Well, um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Rafael Hernandez, he was the producer, and so he'd been producing titles there. And um, uh, and so he was given this project as his first uh, internally developed project that he would produce. And so before this time, I actually – I went to college. I studied business. I had a lot of stat, and I made games as a hobby, but not computer games. So I designed board games, card games, stuff like that. And um, and so I, I'd had Roth testing my games for years. And so when he was building a team, he convinced me to come over there. And so something that's interesting about Interplay that's not the case anymore. Um, Interplay used to – they would hire people that were fairly new. Uh, most of the people on their teams were hired from their QA department. And so people would work in QA and then they would start practicing 3D modeling or they'd start practicing – 
you know, whatever. And so then they would get hired out of QA. And so in my case, I was a kind of a rarity because I got hired directly in as a designer. Um, because I had experience doing, you know, designing board games and card games and stuff like that. It's kind of funny you mentioned that because I looked up, uh, Ra- Rafa. Raphael? You got muted, Brian. Oh, I looked up his credits, sorry. And, uh, yeah, it looks like he started kind of as a manual editor and then a tester and then a producer. And then he produced a bunch of their games, like Descent. Yeah. And Descent 2 and Descent 3. And, uh, then he, I mean, and, uh, yeah, so it looks like, uh, he was QA lead on Siberia for, so it's, it that's exactly, it sounds like, I'm looking at like kind of his career. That's exactly what you're describing. Right. And, and that's true of almost everybody that was on that team. Almost all the artists, almost everybody came through QA. Um, the, the ones that weren't, uh, uh, the programmers didn't. So we had, um, some really great programmers. Uh, Robert Colchip did the AI. He had a PhD. And our lead programmer, John Panettiere, he had a master's degree. And so they came in as outside hires. But everyone else, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong about our lead artist, I'm not sure, uh, Perry Scalf, but, um, I think everyone else was pretty much hired from, uh, from inside. So it's kind of fast. So did starting with a whole new team help everyone get like a fresh perspective? Like, okay, this is what happened with the last game. This is what we need to do with this one. Um, well, yeah, it, it certainly does. Um, one of the, you know, cause we weren't, we weren't attached to any of the decisions that they had made. So we were looking at, uh, both Ron and I played a lot of, uh, Starfleet battles in the old days. So that was kind of the Star Trek background, besides obviously watching all the movies and stuff. And um, and so we just, like I said, we really did. We read all the reviews. We played the game ourselves. Um, and the, the big critiques that we had, and that was echoed by people uh, that were writing reviews, is obviously about how it handled, just like any other space sim, starfighter space sim, and handled the same. Uh, but the other thing that I really didn't like about it was all the missions were disconnected. So... You know, you would do all the story, the film that had all these uh, live action actors had nothing really to do with what was happening in the gameplay. They were completely disconnected. And so I didn't like that at all. And so uh, we wanted to do something different with uh, Klingon Academy. And so all of the film that we did is completely meshed into all the missions. And then every mission is completely meshed into the next one. So we we deliberately formed them into campaigns and and stuff. So that was the biggest break we made from the predecessor. Yeah, someone in uh someone on YouTube took all the cutscenes and made like a little like a 2-hour movie out of it pretty much. Uh it's fun to watch just on its own. Did you actually work with any of the actors? Like I loved how it takes place before Star Trek 6 cuz that's my favorite Star Trek movie. So I love how you brought back Kang and I love how you brought back uh uh, Ga- not Gowron, uh, Gorkon. Uh, Gorkon, Gorkon, Gorkon. Gorkon. I always get those names confused. Uh, but I love how you brought back those two, especially. Uh, but you also got to work with Michael Dorn, uh, as well, of course. I'd just like to hang out with Christopher Plummer for an afternoon. That would have been pretty cool. <laughs> well, it, it was actually funny. Uh, I'm, I, I got to go to the set, uh, one day. That was kind of like a, a perk to me that Raphael gave me. So uh, um, Ron uh, got like uh, a blaster prop or something like that. And so my perk was I got to go to the set. Normally, Roth was there all the time. Um, 
And so we wrote the dialogue for him and we wrote the stories and all of that. Raphael did uh, the actual script uh, and he also had a consultant that he worked with helping him with that. Um, but I did get to go to the studio and I don't think it was Plummer. I think it was um, – oh, my mind blinks out on the actor who plays Gorkon. David Warner. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a great guy. Oh. Well, I, I walked up to go into the set, right? And so sitting outside the building in full Klingon gear – Smoking a cigar is uh, is Warner or something. As I walked in, that was my first kind of <laughs> God. Here is this uh, Klingon puffing on a cigar. But um, I got to see them do their scenes together, and it was uh, it was electrifying. It's the mo- probably the most powerful uh, scenes in the game. You know where they're kind of sparring with each other, negotiating with each other. Uh, so. Yeah, and all the all the film crew kind of applauded when they were done. They just you, they're very experienced actors, and they just had fun being together in a scene. Oh, was that later in the story where they were trying to work out their differences for the sake of the empire, basically? Yeah, exactly. That's where Gorkon is trying to get Plummer to uh, trying to get Kang to uh, rally with him and fight off the the foes, and that's where uh, he says no. I gotta yeah. say the story was so great in that game, just so great. It was a it was a perfect little prequel to Star Trek Six. I thought, like it was really well done. Oh well, well thank you very much. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed it, and uh, Raphael did a really good job on uh, on uh, on the script, and he pulled out all the quotes, you know, of Shakespeare quotes, and uh, so yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think it's really cool whenever a game actually gets to transcend a little bit and create canon in the universe rather than just being a licensed thing that that has to just regurgitate what has been. So that's a that's a pretty unique opportunity there. Yeah, it was actually it was actually kind of funny trying to do that uh, because the Star Trek universe, every show is really kind of independent. Um, and so Ron and I spent a lot of time and Ron was, in addition to Ginsuing, he was the one who spoke Klingon. He was the one who really got into, uh, yeah, he really did. He researched all the Klingon stuff and all the characters have Klingon names and have meanings if you know Klingon. Um, but, um, uh, oh, now I lost my train of thought as soon as I said that. But, um, ah, I just totally lost what we we're talking about there. Yeah. So, uh, one of the guys that, that showed up in the chat room is Ken Burnside, who actually worked on Starfleet Battles. Oh, sweet! No, so. we're talking about. Are we talking about the Starfleet Battles video game? No, the or board the game. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> that good. is awesome. Yeah, I played a lot of that with my friends. A lot. That's, oh, that's cool. Hey, so um, toward toward the end of the show or whatever, uh, we could actually dial him up, bring him on if you want to talk to him. That'd be fun. Um, Ryan's all right with that. Of course I am. Yeah, I, I okay. don't know. Yeah, if I, I, I mean, I don't. I want. I want to talk about the game first off, and then sure. You know, no, I'm. Like, I'm totally. We that, we're gonna nerd out on the board game. So that's I, yeah. Unfortunately, I turned off the chat room with that feedback issue. I I couldn't find the off switch, and I just got. I just turned it off. So no, that's fine. <laughs> uh, Jim, do you have him on Skype? Yeah. Um. Maybe I will. If I, if I don't, I will. Okay. Yeah. Make that happen so you can bring him in a little later. Okay. Cool. Okay, so the game came out. Now, um, 
how how long did you guys work on the game before it came out? Because it seemed, I mean, with the story and the the detailed ship systems, it seems like a ton of work went into making it happen. Um, that is very very true. Um, so Star like I said, Starfleet Academy came out. We were tasked to make a sequel. Now, not only did Interplay generally hire uh, fairly new people, uh, but the team size in those days were small. So, I mean, literally, our team was, I think, like eight people. And it ballooned out to like maybe 14 people or so. If you look through the the credit list of like the core folks that worked on the game, it's really kind of small. And I remember we were taking heat for having as many people as we did. Uh, which is interesting because nowadays, you know, you'll have 200 people on a team. So, um, but it took us three years to make the game, which was at least one year too long as far as development cycles go. So, um, uh, one of the things about having new people, um, is that, uh, we were very ambitious. So we, we were trying to make the game that everybody wanted. Like I said, we made our, our task list off of all the feedback that was out there, um, plus all the things that we wanted to do. And so we started off being very ambitious, and um, and we oh, we made the scope too large. And so it took us three years to get the game out. Wow. But, I mean, it was still – the scope was still pretty big. I mean, not a lot of space games have missions in multiple points within a solar system that you can warp to and other solar systems you can warp. I mean, the missions were very involved. Does this does this game use utilize like a familiar engine for the time that like we could we would recognize? You know, no, it it actually was an internally developed uh, system for Starfleet Academy. Okay. And then we were building on it, and um, by the time we were done with it, you know, they you know management asked us, "Hey, can we make another game out of this?" And our lead programmer John Panettiere said, "No." Um, it basically what? was well. You got. You have to understand now. This was a Windows 95, 98 game. It was built off of engine for something else, and some of the source code was actually even lost. So I mean, there's an actual story. This is. Um, I don't remember. You guys probably know that the um, the default resolution was I think either 800, 600, or it was even bef- uh, less than that. I don't remember, but. The bottom line was during this three-year development cycle, all of a sudden people were getting higher resolutions than the game was capable of. And so we said, okay, let's crank up the resolution, which obviously it's not really that easy to do. Um, but what it turned out that the code was missing. So he literally, our lead programmer literally went in and like with uh, looked at the compiled code, trying to find something he could change. <laughs> And he found where he could change it, and all of a sudden we had a higher resolution. But, I mean, it was already compiled. He was doing like a hacker would. So wow. uh, just to wow. give, you, give you the clue, the highest resolution I've ever had it in was 3440 by 1440, and it ran just <laughs> fine. And that, and that is with a, some, some uh, enterprising user made a few hacks that allow it to run in high def, and it looks Glorious. The video that's the, on the, the screen. The only problem right now. is the fonts are like microscopic, so I can't read anything. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. The, but it looks great. The UI doesn't <laughs> scale with the resolution, but the rest of the game, phenomenal. Just looks great. So, Brett, have you played the Star Trek Online game? Because that's the only thing that even 
nearly approximates this. Um, the, the the space stuff, the ground the stuff is stuff. trash, but the space stuff is pretty okay. <laughs> you know, I actually haven't. I haven't. Um, I haven't played hardly any Star Trek things um, after that. Not. You know, I'm not saying I was burned out on Star Trek, but I just. I just didn't. I mean, when um, you make something great, why lower yourself to another standard? Not only, <laughs> not only that, but after this is like really one of the last great Star Trek games, really. Yeah, there was nowhere to go but down. After I mean, this after this time. was Bridge Commander a few years later, which was nowhere near as good. Well, if you want to talk oh. about like ship combat games, yes, but if you want to talk about Star Trek games in general, Elite Force and Elite Force Two. Weren't okay, bad. that's fair. Now those are very good. Those are very good. But I mean. Uh, on the whole, in, in the whole like pantheon of Star Trek games, this one to me is near the very, very tippy top, and so it's it's hard to go down from that. Really, I mean, you know, I think the only thing that comes close to these are the 25th anniversary and Judgment Rights, and I hmm. think that's pretty much it. Uh, maybe Starfleet Command, but I think I love the Starfleet Command games, but I think they're a little below the this one. I'm sorry, it's just me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Space Sims started to decline right before we launched. So, like, um, I played the Wing Commander series. I'm sure you guys probably did, too. Uh, but during our development, before we launched this game, they came out and said they weren't making another. So, I don't know if you remembered that or not. But I do. Know, I... So, so, consumer tastes were shifting away from... Yeah. Uh, Space Sims, which were such a big uh, niche before. So I, I actually, after I shipped this game, I haven't played another Space Sim, I don't think. You know, I want to I know what the statistics are that would say that the consumer is shifting away because I, I feel like there was a, a, such a love for it. You know, it just doesn't make, I don't, I, I'd like to see how they figured that well, out. Well, there was, but I, I think people started to find that playing on consoles was, e- was easier. And so they started gravitating. True, because there's the boom of the console. Yeah, yeah. they started gravitating yeah. toward, especially the PS2 and, and Dreamcast era, uh, they started gravitating toward those easier experiences where you didn't need the expensive joystick and you didn't need, you know, the, the separate monitor. You already had a television. So, so consoles may, like, became more appealing for a while. And I think that it was one of the reasons people started shying away from the space sim. Which is a sad, which is a shame, but it's, it's a, as, as you're, we're seeing now, everything is a cycle. It starts coming back. <laughs> right. So when, when are you guys gonna make Klingon Academy 2? Ah. <laughs> you know what, I'm still better, Hunter. I'm still better. He just said. No, 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 cause now's, now's the time. Like, now right? Is the time. Like if, Kickstart that you know? shit. Stuff, stuff, sorry. Kickstart that stuff. I'm doing better. Kickstart that no, stuff. No, I have, I have a plan, right? Because Uh-oh. Brett, he's a, he's a Cylon. No, Brett teaches kids how to code, and this will bypass child labor go. laws, and then you can have a small army working as developers on this game. Oh, it doesn't have it. to pay them. In fact, they will pay him to work. It's like Tom Sawyer. Like, come here, whitewash the fence. I'll, you can pay me for that. Nice, nice. Uh, well, they would love that, that's for sure. It would go great on their resumes when they start getting older. What yeah. was the first game you ever made? Well, I was, you know, real young, and I helped make Klingon Academy too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How young? Elementary school. Wow. So we have we have another gentleman that's uh, that hangs out in our Facebook page, and he made the Klingon Academy mod 
for the Starfleet Academy 2 game. So uh, it's Armada, basically Armada. Armada, Armada, I'm sorry. Yeah, so the the Starfleet Armada RTS game. Um and he he I don't know if he handmade them or imported them or how he got all the ships from Klingon Academy in it, but he's got all the ships from Academy ported into that game somehow. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, it makes a massive difference to the game. It's ten times better than it was when they shipped it. <laughs> you know, that's that's often the case. That's why they have everything now where it takes mods, you know? The the passion and creativity that people have, mods do often make the game much better than it ever was. Yeah, so one um, one thing that I would very strongly suggest is... There's a game called Sins of a Solar Empire, and they have made the Star, the Starfleet Armada 3 mod for that because they just said, well, we're going to make Armada 3. We're going to use this engine, and it's fantastic. It, it is, as a mod, I would have no problem pulling out 60 bucks and buying it as a retail game. It's AAA. Absolutely. So, wow. so what I found out today, uh, this is, this is old news probably to other people, but I found it today, is, um, Gal Dukat, from Gall Gaming, who who is one of the developers? Not of the that real one. Not the not the not, 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 not the, the real, real one. Not the real. But the, but the guy on his YouTube, his YouTube is Gall Gall Gaming. Yeah. So um, he is, and his mod team who who made that mod are the ones that are actually working on the Stellaris Star Trek mod, and they're porting the assets over into that. So it's going to be all the same ships and everything, all that AAA quality is going over into Stellaris as we speak. Wow. That's pretty cool. Oh. Yeah, and Stellaris, if, <laughs> if you're not familiar, is is the uh, Paradox just came out with it. It's the grand strategy game. It's the same dudes that made like Europa Universalis and Crusader Kings and, and all that stuff. So they they make these uh, these epic grand strategy games, and they're basically turning it into a Star Trek thing now. Did you see Ken Burnside's comment in YouTube chat there? It says, child labor sweatshop coding is still better treatment than how most game devs are actually handled. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably right. Cause, yeah, you were kind of there in the in the swan song days of Interplay. Like, Interplay didn't last a lot longer than 2000, if I recall correctly. Yeah, um, that's pretty <laughs> true. I, I was with Interplay for three years. And I probably joined them. I probably hired in where they were already at their peak at that point. And um, they it, they were doing a series of um, – uh, it seemed like every year they had a new strategy for trying to turn the company around. And and we just couldn't pull it off. That That's really kind of what happened. Um, what, what killed them is they never shipped Secret of Vulcan Fury. But do you know where the voice <laughs> tapes are? <laughs> <laughs> because that that's the thing this every is a time long I, every running time grind. this is a long every time that i get to touch somebody that's from interplay and it's happened many times we had the volition guys on we had tom who was the lead dev on that project um which is nobody hilarious. knows which is nobody hilarious. knows where the voice tapes are because that was the last time the entire star trek cast actually assembled and did voice actor work and because wow. they did Star Trek 25th anniversary, they did Judgment Rights, and then hot on the heels of that, they did Secret of Vulcan Fury, which got canned, and then all the audio disappeared. Nobody now, knows that, where it is. Did that get canned before Klingon Academy shipped? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it was. Um, do you remember the the Star Trek Ground Force 
game. It was it was they made Command and Conquer. It was like Star, Star Trek. Trek away team or Star- something like that. No, it was it was it had tanks. Battlegrounds. It was like hover tank. Battlegrounds. Yeah. So uh, it was like, it was like the next generation shuttles, but they had turrets on the top and they were tanks and stuff. So I remember that the trailer sounds awful. It it, it, it was whenever it was yeah terrible. when you installed that game, the ad for Secret of Vulcan Fury was the thing that it forced you to watch. So it was it was right in that time. So if I don't know if if I could recall what the heck the name of that game was, but yes. Um, it was it was right around um, Descent Free Space One was was also in that era. Well, when when uh, when projects get canceled, um, yeah, it's not surprising to me at all that the assets kind of just evaporate. Um, I mean, literally, things get put in boxes. Uh, yeah. You know, when when uh, we finished with Klingon Academy, uh, they laid off a lot of the team. And um, because I was the designer, who I knew they were going to keep doing a little bit of work on um, an editor and other stuff. So since I was a designer that was handling all the balancing, I was the only one who knew how um, – um, I didn't have the – all. it wasn't that my input was the only thing for balancing, but I was the one who handled all the data part of it. So – I was trying to write up instructions and save files and stuff so the next guy would actually have something to work with. And, you know, I don't even think they wanted that. You know, I mean, it, uh, where did that work go? I don't know. Probably got burned. I probably burned it to a disc for him and it probably went in a box in some closet somewhere. So, you know, yeah, I don't. That, that particular item, I think, is priceless to the Star Trek community and nobody can find it. And and I want to be the one that does because then I can auction that shit and I will be the richest man. Oh, no, I'm kidding. I just uh, I, I just want to find it. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. My my guess is it probably doesn't exist. But I mean, I, you know, I I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know. I there's not some huge vault that they stick all this stuff in. So. What is it well, that you're not telling us? Interplay is basically a filing cabinet in somebody's basement right now, isn't it? I mean, it's not even a, a tangible company, is it? It's just like the IP. You know, I'm I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I think we did go out of business entirely. Now, whether uh, I think some of their IP got bought up and their brand name got bought up, and I think there is some kind of entity there. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know. What that yep. relationship is, but so the if they were, yeah, apparently there's it, enough it, of an entity to license stuff to Steam and GOG. Apparently that's so if somebody, it's like, a, like a ghost entity. Apparently, yeah. If somebody came to you and said, "Hey, I want to make a mod for Klingon Academy," you know, would would you help me out? Uh, like, would would you be open to that? Like to to jump back into this beast and and make it do things it was never intended to do kind of modernize it because i don't i think due to the limitations with the ip and stuff you wouldn't be able to make klingon academy 2 right but but you could definitely take the base thing here and rework the assets and and the code and stuff as long as it wasn't a separate product right because you know we just went through that whole that whole cbs paramount shenanigan with axanar but the mod scene didn't get touched in that thankfully so Yeah, I don't think. To be honest with you, I don't think there's much that I could add at this point. I mean, I mean, literally, you were talking like 16 years ago now. So, 
Uh, could I rummage around and possibly come up with some files for something? Maybe, maybe. Um, was but, it um, modular enough that you could rip the guts out and kind of build a new game in here? In Klingon Academy? Yeah, because, I mean, you kind of know the code, right? So I, I don't know. No, actually, I don't. See, that's the well, thing. I mean, when when I worked on Klingon Academy, um, it I, I was um, I was a designer purely. So in other uh, words, so I didn't do any coding on that project. I did um, uh, I managed a lot of data. There, we had very intricate data files for every single ship and every single you know star systems and all of that. And so I managed all that stuff. Um, and balanced code anything. I didn't script. Right. Like nowadays, when I was working at Activision, I would design a Spider-Man level and I would code or script it. Uh, but in Klingon Academy, the scripters were separate roles. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because you worked yeah, so on the- uh, Spider-Man 2, if I'm looking correctly, which is one of like the legendary games of the PS2 era. Yes, yes, I did. Um, and two other Spider-Man titles, too. So, so, but yeah, it was a great game. I think the original oh, designer of that one, didn't he just release a new game, like, called Energy Hook or something like that? I think? Um, it depends. The, now, by the time you got to Spider-Man 2, the team sizes were getting, were getting larger. So when you say designer, which person are we talking about? I, I remember seeing something that uh, uh, Jamie, I think it's Jamie Fristom, had done something. He's do, uh, doing indie work now. Um, there's another person who um, was on that team. He's doing indie work. Uh, they just did a, um, uh, you know where they raised money? Uh, Kickstarter. He just did a Kickstarter, and that was, who is that? Um Ah, it escapes me at the moment. Um, so there are people from that Spider-Man 2 team that uh, have their own companies or are part of indie teams. So I don't know who you would call the designer, though, at that point. Uh, there's the creative director. There's a lead designer. There's people doing some design on the programming side. Yeah. So tell me about design stuff from this, then, the what, what you were involved in um, as far as, you know, like designing the ships and – uh, you had to figure out like which systems and what stuff the player could control, right? And that, like all those menus and submenus and and you know the that sort of system. And I'm I'm sure that that was not an easy thing to derive and still keep it usable. Yeah, yeah, it's um you know like I I'd already mentioned how uh, most of us this was our first title to work on. Um, just before I go into the uh, specific decisions or whatever, um. You were asking me, would I make something like this again? I certainly wouldn't make it this uh, detailed, this complicated. For example, from my pers- well, no, think, no, you guys hear me out. I ask you a question <laughs> and you tell me. If the game shipped and it was just like it was, but there was no boarding parties, would you have really lost much? No. So, so so we could have taken out boarding parties, and that would have been an entire UI screen (laughs) times six races. Oh, yeah, that's true. In fact, I don't think I ever used the boarding parties, so I definitely – I'm having having trouble remembering boarding parties, honestly. 
So, yeah, there was a system where if you knocked down somebody's shield, you could beam over some boarding parties and they would sabotage them from the inside or try to take over the bridge even. I don't even and, remember this. I must have never used it or something. Yeah, it's a, it's a system that I completely missed being in the game. Um, I mean, it, it's it, a lot of games actually do that sort of thing, uh, but it's very abstracted where you just say, okay, target it's, yeah, target it's the like, engine. It's almost like an and, ability, right? Like you just click on a thing and just does it. Yeah, and it's, it's like as soon as you can transport people, I'm going to knock that shield down, and when you do it, this is what I want you to attack. And, and that's pretty much it. Um, like Starpoint Gemini 2 and, and Warlords does that. And in fact, that's the strategy that I use to win in that game is, is, uh, I catch them in a tractor beam and then have boarding parties capture the ship and then I drag it back to the star dock and sell it. And that's how I make money. Right. But so, so that's kind of what I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, Ron and I, we really tried to put, um, we tried to make this game what we would want and what all the fans were telling us they wanted. And so we pretty much, if you could do it in the Star Trek universe, we put it in there. So I, I would not do that again. Um, but okay, so as far as design, though, uh, let's see. Uh, the biggest thing, the thing that we used to always talk about when we were building it was the whole interactive terrain. So... Uh, that was a big thing we wanted to do. So you talked about how you could warp within a system between planets that the solar system right. was very large. And you also had nebula. You also had gas. You also had rings and 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 whatnot that you could flip fiddle around in, like actual space terrain, which was awesome. So awesome. So right. So up to that point, terrain in space sims was only eye candy. It didn't impact gameplay at all. So in this game, you were actually inside of a nebula and it had effects, or you were inside of a ring and it had different effects, or you're fighting near a black hole and there was all these gravity and all this different stuff that was going on. Um, so that was a big thing for us. Um, we also put in six different races. And again, that's one of those things where I said, if I was to make this game again, I wouldn't. You know, and you might say, ah, oh, but I mean, if I cut the Tholians out, would you have cared that much? No, not well, really. No. Well, I, I thought it was impressive the that Tholians. all the races. <laughs> Jeez, Hunter. Wow. Um, okay. The, uh... <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Hunter, Hunter's had some bad run-ins with Tholians. If, if you're gonna, if you're gonna fuck anyone, fuck the Breen. Okay, just fuck yeah, those guys. Put, put Put my quarter oh my in the tip jar. It's it's well, going downhill now. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Brent. I'm sorry. Right, we've we've reached our f bomb quota. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah. The uh, the other races though, it was it was surprising that they're all playable. You know, whenever you take it into multiplayer, because it, the the bulk of the game, which is you know the campaign experience, um, that focuses entirely on the Klingon ships and that. And then I I had not had an opportunity to play it multiplayer until about a year ago, whenever we got it to go, we got it running yeah, again. Yeah, within the last year, um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and at that point it was like, oh my gosh, you can play all of this. You know, and yeah. that that was pretty cool. Although, I mean, it's like you don't have to model the interior of all the ships, but you have to do a UI for them at least. But right. you know, it's not like you had to make a, a bridge for every one of them. Yeah, but I mean, the, the sheer number of ships and weapon systems. Like, um, we brought in the the ones that were the carriers. Uh, forgot what we called them. We invented that race. Um, because Starfleet battles had carriers. So we put them in there. And so you have all these fighter-based guys. Um, and so it was great. But, I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons it took three years is um, uh, there was no, – <laughs> 
there was no older version of myself on the team saying, okay, guys, let's uh, focus. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and, and contrary to popular belief, UI is hard. Yeah, and, and they had to make six versions of the artwork for all those screens. And the buttons weren't always in the... Actually, I think they did ultimately put all of them in the same spot. Uh, but anyway, um, so let's see. Design, though. What can I tell you about design? Um, so we the this might interest you. So basically, we took the Starship Enterprise and said, this is your base ship. So it's, it's shields, it's speed, it's armament, whatever. This is like the standard. And then we said, okay, the Klingons are more aggressive. So they have, um, you know, one point, you know, uh, 1.3, 130% of the weaponry maybe, uh, but less of their shielding and that sort of thing. And then the, the Romulans, they were like way crazy on armament. Almost everything was armament when they used their cloaking device. And so we developed the different races as kind of like, um, you know, a ratio or um, compared to the Enterprise. Mm. So it's kind of like if you're making a game with tanks, you can have one that's fast with light armament or slow with heavy armament, that sort of thing. So we created, Ron and I created a racial profile, basically, of what mattered to each race. And then we just had also a profile for all the classes. What is a cruiser to a light cruiser? What's a light cruiser to a frigate? And then that kind of unfolded. And so I had this master spreadsheet um that had all of these ships and all of their systems uh, all tied together. So if I changed one thing, if we said we want ships to be a little faster or whatever, uh, it would just recalculate across every single ship in the entire game. Hmm. There's this weird glitch that's going on on the, the video that Brian's playing where the Klingon bird of prey is actually flapping its wings, and it, it's hilarious. But anyway, <laughs> it's a little distracting. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching. It's like, does that make it go faster? I don't. Uh, well, I, I, anyway, I'm remember if I'm remembering correctly, there was only one patch made for this game, and then it was all done. It was all shut down after that, if I remember correctly. So I don't think the editor that you mentioned earlier ever came out, if I'm remembering correctly, which is yeah. And Ken, uh, Ken in the chat's like, "Hey, dude, you got that spreadsheet?" <laughs> hey, so, so as far as the design goes, what? In the game, did you design that you're just the most proud of? Like, what what was what was something in there that you were just absolutely thrilled? Um, I I would say there's two things. Um, first of all, um, I was very very happy with the interactive terrain that it, that it worked that we were able to pull it off. There was a lot of pressure to like get rid of it, turn it back into eye candy, and it's like no, this is essential feature. And it did, in fact, make the game, uh, the, the game advanced, you know, the innovation or whatever in space sims in several ways, but not, no one had had interactive terrain before. I don't know how many have had it since, but no one had had done it before. No one really and, has had it since. I'm just going to tell you right now, like, not, I can't even. Yeah, the closest, the closest you can get is, uh, like in Elite, right? Because you can fly into an asteroid field. Stuff like that. I mean, Free Space the, 2 had nebulas that would, like, screw up your um, your sensors and whatnot. But that was really it, though. Oh, you Evercron, know what? Evacron, That's, yeah. yep. Oh, that's right. Okay, Evacron. Yeah, Evacron's Evercron. pretty neat for that. And you get hit by lightning in the nebula, and you can only think in two dimensions. And <laughs> Oh, no, wait, that's Khan. Um, but 
Anyways, uh, well, the thing, because you were talking about like all the different systems and that, and I know as as a player trying to manage, th- because you do all the Starfleet battle stuff in here, you know, it's like you go you go over to engineering and then you're playing with your power distribution and, you know, it's like I need to reinforce shields, which means I have to pull in, you know, it's like you got to rob Peter to pay Paul and balance your energy around and, and stuff, um, which you can set profiles or you have the option to actually go in there and move those sliders yourself. Um, which is which is kind of like like pushing your engineer out of the way and, and taking his console away from him, uh, <laughs> which an angry Klingon captain would do. But uh, the thing that impresses me about this is not that the player can do it, but that you programmed how many different AI races seven that have how many different ships that all have different systems with different power demands. And, you know, they're, they're different profiles and the AI has to be able to think about what should I be doing right now? Do I need to be on the defensive? Should I be trying to recharge my shields? Should I be keeping my, my weak shield away from the player and, and all that stuff? So the, the AI is basically playing Starfleet battles quite competently in three dimensions, which just kind of blows my mind for the time period, the, the amount of horsepower that was involved, and I'm, I'm sure some of that's like hand wavium, and you and you script it out, but well, uh, it looks very convincing. So, it, you, you, this you probably would want to hear this then. Um, so, like I said, the the person who did our AI, our AI programmer, Walt, Robert Coltrip, he had his PhD. Um, uh, <laughs> this is I've no other game I've ever worked on did what we did. So, literally, you know. Um, in those days, we, we would link all of our computers together, right, at night. And he developed this system where the computer would play against each other all night long. And then it would learn from what it did. So they would do, they would, I'd say, two cruisers go at it, the Klingon cruiser and the Fed cruiser, and they just fight over and over again all night long. And it just tries different things, uh, again, according to um, his code, and then it would... They had a chart that it kept, a database of all the success of different strategies. So he literally trained all of those ships. Um, uh, and then, of course, then you have to come in and do the human element because <laughs> at first the AI um, would – it was too funny. It would put no power to shields at all except the very base amount to keep them on. And then right the instant your weapon was about to strike the shield, because he'd overload all of his weapons and shoot them at you. The instant your weapon was about to hit his shield, he would just put all of his power to shields. It was too hilarious. God, so it's like playing Starfleet battles against Skynet. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a so, bitch. That explains so, yeah, so much. Yeah. <laughs> so you had to dumb it down a little bit. Yeah, I had to tell him, okay, the AI cannot do that. And so we dumbed it down a little bit. But, I mean, that's how it did. It also said, you know what? I like colliding with people. You know, it's a great tactic. I wanted to ask about that. that because yes. God oh my damn God. the ramming in this game. That, that yeah. is, that's my, my pet. That's the one thing. Like, if I could change one thing in this game is because I never know if I'm actually going to ram somebody or not because magnification on the screen. And it looks like I'm still kind of far. And I guess the shields bash each other, right? But but it's kind of jarring. Like, I'll, I'll be chasing somebody, and then all of a sudden it's like, wham, I rammed him. And it's like, no, I really didn't want to do that. Yeah, well, we certainly got the AI not to do that. So we toned down in its chart at that as a, a tactic. But the thing is, you're, you're, you're trying to point your ship at 
you're moving forward and you're trying to point your ship at another ship so your distance is constantly closing. So collisions are not unheard of. Um, one of the things that happens when a project goes long like this, you know, I said it was three years in development, is you start to have uh, management get nervous, people start second-guessing things, and uh, there was this whole discussion about uh, the collision, uh, and I told them, because collision's not fun, we need to turn down the damage so that players don't feel like they're getting messed up when they get, uh, if they accidentally collide, you don't want to like blow up and lose everything. Um, and so there was this big kind of internal debate about that, but I lost that round. So it did ship with uh, dam- with collisions causing more damage than I wanted. So, now, is there, is there I mean, an I&I file in there? They're supposed to cause a lot of damage. A collision is horrible, but at the same time, it just happens so much. Yeah, if I just had a way of like, – like what I was saying early on in the show, if, if I had an external view where I could actually see like, oh, wow, I'm really close – because it the the way that the the game portrays it, it's it's like well he's still a mile away from me, and then suddenly I smash into him. So oh, I see. You know, even though they turned down the 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 AI or whatever, this game is still pretty challenging. It's very oh, challenging. Yes. Oh yeah, no, we're not complaining oh, yeah. about that. It's just every time, boing. All I got is thank God the Borg aren't in here because uh. that, would be, <laughs> that would be too much. And I will tell you, this game, I got to say, has amazing force feedback, like some of the best. My, my, I have to like let go of the stick sometimes because it's shaking so damn violently. <laughs> like I don't want to – I'm worried I'm going to break it because it's shaking so violently. And when you have a collision – I, I swear, this stick is Velcroed onto a wooden base, and I swear I'm worried it's going to shake itself off. That, that's how <laughs> violent the force feedback is. So that's amazing. That you guys have such great right. force feedback. So I, I have to bring Ken in because he's jumping up and down, and he's like, I want to talk about collision. Oh, all right. Bring him in. Working on it. Now, is this Ken, the Starfleet battle designer? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, he worked on supplements and stuff. I don't, I'm not sure how in the core product he was, but he's, he's definitely in the mix. Yeah, one of the things is the perspective, too. You're talking about how the ships seem like maybe they're not as close as they are or something like that. Um, one of the things, interesting enough, we were going for this capital ship feel. And so we kept slowing the ships down and slowing them down. And it didn't quite match. And then one day, the um, our lead programmer, he just started playing with the scale of the ships. And we made the ships much larger in scale. And it uh, the, the way the camera worked, all of a sudden, they seemed just enormous from the camera. Um, and so um, it just really made the capital ships look and feel big. But then also that same camera perspective may cause part of what you're talking about. Yeah, that prob that probably did have something to do with it. Yeah, Ken, say something. We'll see if you're in here. I don't see him. He's not. He's not in here. Oh, he bounced out. Let, All right. let me try. Do, 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 do. Anyway, so yeah, it's like I brought him, but it didn't. It just gave me a phone icon. It didn't give me the actual dialing. So I guess it. I can't right, it sounds him. like he's here. Okay. Yeah, we got him now. Howdy, I'm here. Hey, Ken, Brent, Brent, Ken. Oh, nice hey, to Brent. meet you, Ken. Nice to meet you, Brent. It's funny. Brent, we're here geeking out, at least me, I'm geeking out to you 
about Klingon Academy, and here you are geeking out about Starfleet battles. That that's right. <laughs> it's a mutual yeah. geek out society. It's great. So so Ken's got a new thing that he's working on that I can't recall the name of. Go the, ahead and the, pimp the it, tellers. Ken. Get it out of the way. Pimp it real quick. Just go. All right. Pimp it real quick. So. Alrighty. Uh, alrighty. So now I can actually tell what's going on with Skype in this. Uh, I worked on a. Uh, I own a couple of space combat sims that are board games, and one of them is a board game that allows you to design just about anything from any setting and make it all work in 3D as a board game. I've got a setting that is my fallback if my Starfleet if my Starfleet battles slash Star Trek related stuff has to go into a bin, and that <laughs> bin is going and that setting is called Interstellar Expanse. And at some point, Brent, I'd love to talk to you about it because I think you might enjoy it. Sure. Yes, I'm, not, um... I'm just. I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't have a mental picture of what you're describing there, but but sure, I'd love to hear about it. Alrighty, uh, let me go and mute the. There we go. Now I can actually hear you without hearing myself on a four-second delay. Uh, so I made a not Star Trek setting. Uh, I don't have the Klingons. I don't have the Romulans. I don't have the Federation. But I have a human culture that is stuck between two uh, warring factions that happen to have their names start with a K and an R. And one of the amusing things on this is that rather than the meta story for Star Trek where the, Kling- where the Federation is clearly more powerful than either the uh, Klingons or the Romulans, and arguably more powerful than both of them combined, once you factor in the technology advantages uh, and the economic advantages, in my particular case, the human faction is best described as Israel as a client state of the Romulans being used as a buffer zone against the Klingons. Okay. But this is, Does this that sound is a, like an interesting setting? Now, is this a board game that you're making? This is a setting for one of the board games that I already... Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, so what... Dimensional what, uh, Spaceship Combat. And the, the official and Starfleet allowed... Battles stuff that you worked on, um, what what was that? Because that was like supplements and, and rule stuff, you know, like later on in the game, right? I think Ken might be getting delayed here. Ken, you still got us? Oh, we lost him. We're trying to get the call back. Skype technical oh. difficulties, friends. Uh, Skype is great when it works. Not... Yeah, I heard him start breaking up a little bit there. Am I breaking up? No. Uh, no, I we're all fine. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, man, I got a bad call quality here uh, for mm. some reason. Hang on, let me make sure. It it's is probably... Tuesday night, and it's the Internet. So... Uh, it's probably... <laughs> there, it's probably well, no, seriously. New York Internet. <clears throat> The uh, the internet seems to like to reboot every Tuesday night. Like I don't understand what it is. Like Steam, <clears throat> like crashes like four or five times every Tuesday night. Well, one of the things um, you guys had asked me about what I was uh, something I was most proud of designing, and so I mentioned the interactive terrain. But there's actually uh, something that's actually even more than that. And so remember, I told you about the spreadsheet that has everything tied together. Yeah. Well, what so, the literal hell? <laughs> it sounds like we're all back. Yeah, I all think right, we're cool. all back now. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Brent. All right. Well, anyway, so um, the the game was taking a long time to make, and so management called us in. We had just about everything done. We just needed to balance the game, 
And so we had this meeting with the owner of the company and senior management, and they were saying, okay, how long is it going to take you to balance this thing? You know, and, and Ron said, oh, we could balance this in six weeks. And I looked over him like he's, you know, insane. And because we had all these ships, right? Tons and tons of ships and all these different weapon systems and all this. And so I was like, geez, I was thinking, you know, three months, you know, and management freaks out when I say that. Um, but anyway, I told him, look, give us the QA department. I, we don't have time, obviously, for me to, and Ron to test and play all these ships. So give us the QA department. We'll have them do specific matches. Give us their feedback, and we'll balance it. So probably the thing I'm actually proudest of is that that actually worked. The the design of the game, using all the various ratios and tying it into a spreadsheet, uh, worked so that we could take the feedback even though I didn't get to play all those battles. I got to take the feedback from QA and I was able to just tweak values in my spreadsheet, repopulate all the ships and we just iterated over and over again. Um, so to balance a game that has this many different ships, this many different weapon systems in such a short amount of time is probably the thing I'm actually proudest about. Yeah, because there are so, what? There are what? About 30 some ships in the game I would say, reckon? Maybe 30 or 40? Yeah, I think it's over 40 because uh, yeah. the big races even had – some of them even had two battleships. <laughs> so yeah. they had like nine ships. The main three had nine ships in each fleet plus one had an extra battleship. Plus and you had, had civilian ships and then yeah, you had the other yeah, – they had the smaller races as well. Yeah, the Shakurans, the Tholian, and the Gorn. Right, so that's a lot of ships to to track and balance, and that sounds that sounds pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I was just really, really um, excited that that pull that came off. So, Brent, uh, what stuff actually was directly inspired by SFB? Well, um, I mean, literally, uh, when the project first started, when I was brought on, uh, they were sitting there playing Starfleet battles, you know. Um, so, I mean, think about it. You, have, you kind of have to go back in your mind a little bit and say mm -hmm. what kind of Star Trek games existed, you know. And so the designers that were all making it, we had all played Starfleet Battles. So uh, no, love for, no love for fast Star Trek uh, Tactical Simulator? Uh, you know, I, I'm not even aware of that one. Um, I, I, maybe I was at the time, but I don't remember it right now. Mm -hmm. I, I proudly own it and have never played it. So I've, it's still in the uh, box. It's, I think it's great actually, stuff to read. It's great stuff but, to read. Yeah. Well, think, think about Starfleet Battles, though. Um, Starfleet Battles, you have a limited amount of power. You yep. have to use that power for weapons or shields or movement, um, mm -hmm. among other things. And um, as you take damage, you not only lose devices, like you lost your phaser banks or your photons, but you might lose... Uh, part of your nacelles, so now you have less power to manage. So mm -hmm. that absolutely um, came from Starfleet Battles. That whole yeah. concept of um, you know, I brought taking... Peter to pay Paul. Exactly, exactly. That that definitely was. So I use that concept in Squadron Strike, which is a game engine that I built. Think of it as a game engine for a video game, only it's a game engine for board games. Uh, that allows you to design any spaceship from any setting and put it on the table in full 3D. One of my standard demos for that is to take the Galactica and have it attacked by Klingons and defended by the Minbari from Babylon 5. Well, that's a thing. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so the, the place where, where 
uh, Ken and I ran into each other is he made this game that's called Attack Vector Tactical, where he takes a hex map. Imagine Starfleet Battles, but it's in full six degrees of freedom. So you you know instead of just the hex sides horizontally, it's also hex sides all the way around in an orb, and you plot movement using actually this this cool orb tool, um, and then it's it's all vector based. So in, instead of being Star Trek where you know it's just magic warp drive that flies like an airplane, um, you actually have to point and shoot with the engine to get where you're going. So that, and that the design when you read the rules it just melts your brain, and then he's got a tutorial in there that you just do it, and once you actually play through it, it's like oh that's not entirely you know like mind bending. Um, so <laughs> or it's so it mind bending, out. but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it, but I, I see that as as kind of a, a pretty cool evolution of you know because Star Trek was like a lot of a lot of uh, hand waved fiction stuff you know it's like well we got shields we don't know how that works but it, you know and then warp drive and and these things warp where drive. attack vector Woo! attack vector kind of reigns that back and and says okay well we have ships that look more like the the International Space Station than the Enterprise and they're they're like form over function kind of things. And we have a problem with heat and radiation and stuff like that. Um, so it's, that, that's what I found kind of fascinating. So I started talking to Ken and then I found out that he actually worked. What was the, the actual Starfleet battles license stuff that you worked on though? Cause there was some of it that you were, you had your I, hands. So I was a play tester for Starfleet battles from 1991 uh, all the way to when I left the company as a marketing director in 2005 um, am I still on? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I wrote one product called Module C5, which added three new races to the Magellanic Clouds, and I was functionally the developer for a series of products called the Omega Sector, uh, which covered pretty much everything, which covered something like 13 new races in a different quadrant of the galaxy. Um, and executive developer means that I didn't design it, I just went through and took all the rules that were written for it, checked them against all of the other rules that were existing in the game, uh, including the rules that had been written for, that were in the pipeline for products that hadn't been published yet, and made sure that all the interactions were defined that could be defined. Uh, and then went through and coordinated playtests to make sure that, for the most part, they were fun to play and play against. Uh, so I have a lot of sympathy for Brent's story about, oh yeah, we'll balance all the shifts in six weeks. Uh, right. But, I got but, Brent, do, but Brent's I got my to, hero because he made he made a computer play your game like Kasparov. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was that was somebody. Yeah, uh, that was that was a cold trip. Uh, I can't take credit for that one. Alrighty. Uh, at some point, Brent, I would love to talk to you outside the context of a podcast, and you know. Learn what the digital side does, and you know how they work at how they work at these days. Because all of my friends that I know who work in the digital side are former people who worked in the digital side, and they go, you know, never again, never again. I like being able to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> I like not being fired when the project is done. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Again, um, and the guys alluded to that earlier. Um, the game industry is a tough. Um, it's, it is tough. And so you end up, once you go into crunch mode, you're working at least 12 hours a day or more and you're working it, you know, probably six days a week and on just a perpetual basis. 
Clean Out Academy was like that for well over a year. So how, like a year and a half of its three-year development cycle was one big long crunch. That was my introduction to the game industry. Oh, you poor, um, poor soul. So, <laughs> but, and, and, uh, but that's the other companies, they do that. So that's true. Uh, a lot of these indie companies, uh, like myself, um, I just, after I was at Activision for seven years, I dodged a lot of layoffs there. Um, a lot of people liked me and kept me on. But when that finally happened, I started to go interviewing and stuff, and I just realized I just don't want to do this anymore. Uh-huh. So uh, that's why I started working for myself doing it. Um, that's kind of what happened with me. I decided that I'd rather publish my own games than work on somebody else's for a while. So my total list of projects that I worked on for Amarillo Design Bureau, I can legitimately say that next to Steve Cole and probably Steve Patrick, uh, I have written more words for that game and for the follow-on game, Federation Commander, than just about anybody else in the development cycle. Wow. Wow. Because those rule books were pretty uh, impressive. I mean, uh, I <laughs> you had... You kill uh... somebody just by dropping it on them, really. I mean, I've seen... <laughs> I've seen a, a guy that had a three-ring binder that had I, what I assume could only be the full wallop in it, and it was one of those like expanding three-ring binders, you know, where <laughs> like telescopes up to fit whatever you put in it, and it was it was uh, like I, I've been to the library, you know, and you and you see that that dictionary that sits on a podium and it takes like two people to open that thing. That's what this dude's binder looked like. And, um, and it was just like, that's why people have trouble getting into Starfleet battles, I think. My uh, my video camera is off, which is probably just as well, because I'm sitting here looking furtively over at my six-inch D-ring binder that has just the rules for SFB with a separate book for the annexes and four separate books for the scenarios and uh, 17 separate books for, for all of the SSDs sorted by, uh, sorted by race. <laughs> yeah, you know, with me, when I was playing it, I was in high school and college. Those were the years I played it a lot. And um, That's when we had time to do that. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. And so I remember we would get into these heated – we'd be playing a game, and then someone would pull out subsection six, this, that, you know, and something that nobody expected, you know, some rule they weren't familiar with. And then we had so have you, this big – So ahead. you played before Doomsday. You, you played before 1990. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So you played during the Errata edition. You, you played during the Errata Wars period. <laughs> yeah, well, we we would it'd be like a bunch of lawyers, you know. And finally, we with in order to to have sane games, we would literally go over. We just review very quickly. These are the rules we're using for this game. If we haven't mm-hmm. mentioned them up front, they're not happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. Otherwise. It was like we were all lawyers or something because somebody would pull something out and um, I don't know. I'm so, surprised that there wasn't fun, actually a race of rule lawyers that were like put in the game. So, like, fun, uh, so fun bit of Starfleet Battles history. Uh, from 1988 to roughly 1990, uh, Task Force Games Iteration Number 4 had, to go, had run out of money and – they knew that they had a fallow uh, audience uh, that hadn't had any new products out there. So they spent two years reorganizing the company and giving Steve Cole time to go and redesign and incorporate all the addenda that had happened from 1984 to 1988 uh, into one codified set of rules. And since 1990, Starfleet Battles has largely been staple. 
it hasn't had people, it, it's had new additions coming in and it's had people like me who made sure that those new, uh, races and rules that got added in were cross-checked against everything else that was in the rules so that you wouldn't have the addenda factory product you know, process going on again. But I suspect that when you were playing Starfleet Battles at the table while developing Klingon Academy, you were playing Doomsday Edition. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I, I might, might have been. Mm-hmm. I, I'm yeah. not sure. I know I sure so, was. It was so deadly. So Brent, I gotta ask you. Yeah. And I, I'm sure we kind of hinted at this earlier, but in all reality, if you if you could make another game like this, would you, like, you know, like uh, like toned down to where you're comfortable? Oh, um, oh, sure. The answer is uh, sure. When when Klingon Academy shipped, even though it was a three year cycle, even though like I said, we crunched for a long time. I was still, even at that stage, I was ready to go. I'm, you know, I was new in the industry, so I was like, I can't believe they pay me to, you know, make <laughs> games, you know. So, so, you know, I mean, like, so, so if someone was to be like, hey, we got the license to this thing and we want to make another one, we would really like you to tag along. Yeah, we um, know, we know a guy named Chris that can tell you how to get a hundred million dollars for this. Well, <laughs> yeah. It, so the, yeah, you know, we can't go an episode without bringing that up, can we? <laughs> it's a rule. Well, if you know, would I enjoy working on another Star Trek space sim? Um, sure, I would. Um, would you but, enjoy working on a non-Star Trek space sim? Sure, sure. You know, One that's in air quotes called not Star Trek. <laughs> not Star Trek. You know, it, it's kind of like this one, right? We we looked at, they want us to make Klingon Academy a sequel. We looked at how the other one did, all the feedback, and then you find something to be passionate about, you know, that we wanted to do. In this case, it was capital ships, and it was um, interactive terrain and things like that. And then, then you're motivated to go create something. So so the answer is, sure, I would love to. If I... If I have had a group of guys and we were hashing out what we could make, would we, would I get inspired? Yes. Uh, um, would at this stage in my life, would I want to do another year and a half of crunch? No, I wouldn't sign up for that. No. Um, I so, would for. You know, I've got three kids now and, um, and I'm not, uh, I would rather. Hey, don't, I, don't forget you have more than just three kids. You have a whole classroom now. No, well, that's, that's, yeah, you, that's, you have that's three true. kids. That's a coding team. And, and tell them, hey, do you do you want to do you want to break for the whole summer, not having to mow the lawn? Well, welcome you know, to Dad's sweatshop. It's funny that you say that because I just released Wizard Rage uh, for the Xbox 360, and right before I released it, I was doing lots and lots of testing, and I had you know trying to find all these multiplayer problems and stuff like that, and so my kids. They always are my play testers, and they got tired, especially my son. He goes, I don't want to play it anymore. And I said, well, this is this is the deal. You can wash dishes, or you can play Wizard Rage with me. <laughs> so it was really bad. I said, this is your chore. You are playing Wizard Rage with me. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how it was. They were, uh, they were my crew. I had a lot of other play testers, but they were the ones that were always on hand. So you apparently have you apparently have a new endeavor that is entirely about teaching kids how to uh, program. Uh, yes, yes. Um, my son, he was in uh, 
He's in fifth grade at the time, and I've, I've for the past many years I've been wanting to teach kids coding. I like teaching, and at the time nobody was doing it, and so yeah, I just didn't see much of a, an opportunity there. And then a couple years ago, my son's class. They were using something called Khan Academy. It's an online tutorial for teaching math and many other subjects. It's really cool. And um, his, I heard his teacher saying that they were gonna, she was gonna have him start doing coding through it. And so I went and I looked at it and I talked to her and I said, you know, I could come in here and give you a lesson as a teaser, or I could come in for several weeks and teach him how to make Pong in JavaScript. And so that's what happened. I taught him how to make Pong in JavaScript, and they just went nuts. And started making all sorts of stuff. Then my wife teaches at another school. They asked me to come over there. And so it kind of culminated in me making a pitch to the district. And I said, you guys, look what I've done. You guys have to put coding in the in the school. And so uh, that didn't employ me or anything. But he believed it. He said yes. And so he started making those changes. I started training teachers. Um and so right now I'm not doing anything with the district directly, but I'm uh, teaching kids in the summer and after school. Have you considered doing a Khan Academy style thing, like a YouTube series, where you just instruct, you know, like all the kids on the internet that want to, you know, tune in for this series, like maybe like an well, episode also, a week or something? Well, there's also the, the like the live coding website too. It's kind of like Twitch, but for coders. Yeah, well, it's the reason that I that I ask about that is like I've I've purchased several online courses and it's like thirty bucks, right? And it, it'll be like forty episodes of somebody who's teaching a class like that. Um, and and you know, there's places like Udemy that sells access to them, and and I think you, you could make a couple bucks, you know, for for your effort in that. Um, but the uh, the other part of that is there's a guy on YouTube. That he's making uh, the channel is called Homemade. It's Handmade Hero, I think it is Handmade or Homemade Hero. Um, he's like 130 something episodes into it now, and he does an hour at a time. And he codes. He's writing a like a Zelda kind of game from scratch, and he explains every line of code that he's banging out, and he's writing it, the whole thing in C++, and just explains along the way or C sharp rather. Um, but he, it, it's like he's not using an engine. He's writing his own engine to do it, oh. and that way he gets to explain, like, okay, here's a screen buffer. Here's how this works, and here's here's how I set up a sound system so that we can actually you know play sound and, and do that. And he's doing it all low level. So, and it's I, I watch it. I'm I'm trying to absorb what I can, but I I think I need to code along with him in order to get the full experience. But that's doable. Huh. Well, I could tell. I um, I could definitely do that. Um, if you sent me um, after this is done, send me a link to like that thing that you purchased or where. Yeah, sure. Um, the the thing is where I'm at is um, I'm not working in the game industry anymore. For the big companies, I'm going independent. So at this stage, I only have so much time in my life. So I would have to obviously charge for it. Um, in order to you know make a living at it, so that's the only thing. I know there's a lot of really cool resources online, and a lot of them are mm-hmm. free, which is great. But if I was to take the time to actually try to video myself and edit those videos and um, and capture what I'm teaching the kids, I would love it because it would reach so many more kids. Yeah. But I would also have to think about how would you market that because I would also have to uh, to make a living too. Yeah, I I guess. 
um, the way maybe you could approach it is, you know, put sort of a teaser up as free and then just be like, if you like what's going on here, here's like a few episodes of it. And if you want to follow up on that, then, you know, a donation or whatever, or buy it through this site or, yeah, I'll talk to you or, about that. Off. Or Patreon. Or Patreon. Which I have been using quite successfully to uh, fund to, to slow fund product development that otherwise wouldn't get made. It's called Patreon? Yeah. Yep. yeah. How is that? That's like so, a... So Patreon, let, let, let me explain since I actually run one. Uh, so do pa- I, man. Ah, so you do. So eh. you do. It's, right. it's hip, hipsterwelfare.com yeah. slash space game junkie. Yeah. Uh, so what I do with Patreon is I charge people a monthly subscription fee, uh, and I release content at different tiers. Uh, so people who pay $5 a month get different content than the people who pay $10 a month. Um, and I just have to make sure that I put up you know two or three things a month to keep my customers happy. Uh, and it has helped fund some products that otherwise wouldn't have happened. Uh, this might actually be something that you could do to fund, you know, uh, you know, to fund the time needed to video edit your, uh, your, your, your online courses. Well, you, that's, uh, I think you guys give me something to definitely look into and think about. I, I wasn't aware of that. So, um, it's, it's pretty nice. I have, uh, like I said, I have one too, and it, it pays, it pretty much covers the cost of running the blog and the hosting and all that stuff, so it's pretty great. Uh, so yeah, it's a great little service. Uh, they're pretty responsive if you have issues, so I've really not had a problem with them, actually. And, yeah. and, and, and in like the last you- three months, they have fixed their biggest problem, which was the sequencing issue on charging cards. I thought their biggest problem was discoverability. Like, it's not like Kickstarter or Steam where you can just browse. You know it, what I it, mean? Yeah, you do have to spend more time promoting your Patreon than you do a kick, than you do you know, Kickstarter. You won't get as many random people bumping in. Yeah. Patreon is good if you've got an established customer base or an established fan base. Yeah. Uh, now to, to say like a an extreme success story, right? So, um, guy that used to work for a company that was local here and. He was, I don't know what he was making there, but from what, what I'm told, it was approximate of what he's making on Patreon. So he does about four YouTube videos a month and his Patreon donations are at $12,000 a month right now. So he's doing okay. Uh, Jeff but, Jakeways of, uh, of questionable content makes about nine grand a month. Uh, right. And, yeah, we make a lot less. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we, we pay for that $10 hosting fee. Right. Uh, yeah. Sadly, a lot more than that. But anyway, um, do we have any final questions for Brent? Cause Brent, I've, I've loved talking to you, but I'm running out of steam. <laughs> so, the, the 4th of July weekend kicked my ass. So I, I, hey, Brent, at some point in time, if, if you'd be down for it, we would love to do a multiplayer session with you in this thank game. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you. Yes, we're, we're, we will ram you mercilessly. Because <laughs> you You'll see how it. much damage it causes. God damn it. Actually, I have a solution to your ramming problem. Uh-huh. Edit the I and I file? No, even better <laughs> no. than that. Use the attack vector ramming rules, which is that... Uh, if God, you're going damn to it, ramming, God damn it, God damn it. Where if Pimp, you're going to be ramming easy. somebody, 
where where if you're going to be ramming somebody, you have to stand back and say and give the speech to all the people on your crew who are represented by the other players in the game, explaining why it is necessary for them to throw away their lives for this particular ram. Okay, okay Brent. <laughs> yeah, ram, ramming's anyway, a cool trick Brent, only once. Brent, I have one last question for you. Do you have any idea why this is not on GOG? Do you have any clue to that at all? Because this needs to be on GOG. Starfleet yeah, Academy. Yeah, they got the other page. one. Yeah, they got the other one. They need this one on GOG for God's sake. It, it's e- apparently you can just use these programs that this one guy made and get it to run in high def. There's no reason this should not be on GOG that I can think of. Do you, Ken, Brent? Sorry. Do you have any idea why this is not on GOG? Any thought at all? No, no, I, I don't have. <sighs> I, I do not know. I don't have any insight on that one. I mean, that's a good question to ask for almost any of the Star Trek games, because it's just like, where's Elite Force? Where's Elite Force 2? Where's Armada? Where's Armada 2? Like, I mean, some, a of lot them, of it. some of them are Activision. Some of them are Interplay. There's probably a different thing going on with with. Yeah, but still, them. they're not you there know, either. What happened? What What's going on? Is, uh, like, we saw Mafia 2 get pulled for a while off of Steam. It's back now. Yeah. But the reason it got pulled was dispute over the music rights. Because there was a couple of songs that were on the radio in there, and they had to get rid of them. But isn't um, isn't most of the music in Klingon Academy original? Yeah, it's uh, all the all James of it. Stuff. All of it is. Yeah, yeah. I I I remember. It's very oh, oh, oh you know, operatic. You know, oh. it's the original Klingon opera. Oh but, no, it's the, uh, it was uh, we hired a composer, and it was uh, a whole symphony recorded it in like Czechoslovakia. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. So I wonder damn. if it's maybe royalties to the actors, like Christopher Plummer and... Oh, and, damn. Residuals. Yeah, residuals yeah. might kill that. Oh, I'm gonna, damn. I'm going to get Sark I, on the phone and ask him what's going down with that, because... That might be a big part of it. I, mean, yeah. I, I don't... I actually don't think so on that one, guys. Oh, really? um, Paramount definitely gets royalties on this. Um, I don't think any of the actors have royalties tied to it. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't know. We should poke around on this. And, yeah, and this is a what? game, folks. Uh, if you can track down a disc copy of it, it's six discs, uh, but you can get it for relatively inexpensively on eBay or Amazon. It's not like one of those games that people ask two, three hundred dollars for. They should. Yeah. But and you can figure out a way. If you can figure out a way to acquire this game, yeah, seriously. Yeah. And Brian, Brian has written up a guide on making it work under yes. Windows Seven. Windows yeah, 10. I, I didn't make the patches. Someone else did. I don't remember their name off the top of my head, but there is. There's a Which guy. You did a guide though, right? Yeah, you I guys are. You're running this on Windows Seven. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seven saying. and ten. I'm I, saying. Like yeah. I, like I said, I was running at thirty-four forty on yeah. Windows Ten. It was just happy. I forget the name <laughs> of the guy. I can send you a link, but this one guy made of two or three little programs that allow it to run in modern OSs, and it works great. The only thing that wow. doesn't scale is the UI. So the the higher res you go, the smaller it gets. But at at ten at ten eighty, it is fairly readable, and it is still gorgeous, and the ships blow still blow up real good. Yeah, I have a I have a question. <laughs> Those uh, ships blow up real good. Yep, they do, <laughs> especially when you ram them. Uh, so the uh, the Ready voice speed. command stuff, the voice command stuff that's in here, does that use? Because the only other game that I've ever played that used the voice command stuff in this way is a submarine game called Sub Commander. Um, and it, and it was, you know, like you can say in the microphone, like make turns for 20 knots and oh, they'll be like, I, captain. I don't think this game yeah. has native voice command. Does it? Oh, I don't think it? it does. 
I th- I thought that it actually had voice. No, no, you got it. Uh-huh. I believe you got to use something like voice attack for it. Oh, okay. Yes. Never mind. Yeah, yeah back in the day we were saying I used Game Commander, which is a thing, uh, back in like the '98 era. But now you can use voice attack with it. I'm actually slowly building a voice attack profile for it, and it works really swimmingly. Oh, okay. So guys, no, I, I I was just I had like past distortion because I must have done that. No, myself. that's fair. Yeah, you probably did. Game Commander worked with a bunch of games, and this was one of them, and it worked great, and it was so immersive when it worked. Oh my god! Uh, so guys, again, Klingon Academy. Sadly, you cannot get this son of a gun digitally. It is so good. It is so good. It is. It's pre Star Trek Six, so you have Kang and Gorka. How good is it? It's, it's so, so good. good. It'll massage your back and make you feel wow. like a man. I don't know where that. Came. Wow. No, that's good. No, I yeah. Like it. So, so Brian, yes. uh, you know how they, they they're selling the the William Shatner voice attack profiles for Elite. Yeah. If somehow this thing should appear on GOG, you too could sell a voice attack profile, but you could make it perhaps so that it understands Klingon. So I've, I've, you could actually speak Klingon at your screen. Yeah, Brent. Uh, there's things. a Brent. There's a company that makes uh, vocal command, vocal things for Elite Dangerous that works with voice attack that actually responds back to you, and they've got William Shatner and a few other people. <laughs> I, I would love right. David Warner. I would love David Warner is the next one that I want them to get because he would be amazing. But anyway, folks, um, let's wrap this up. Uh, Brent, where can people find you online? If they want to, if they want to learn about your academy or they want to talk to you, where can they find you online? Okay. Well, let's see. Um, as far as for teaching coding, uh, that's simply www.codingwithkdog.com. You should um, register klingoncodingacademy.com and then <laughs> redirect but it to. The, the best place, if they like Facebook, uh, facebook.com kdoggames. And you'll see both posts there about the software games that I'm making as well as things for that I'm teaching kids. Um, and then I have a blog, too, that's uh, k-doggames.com. Uh, and what, what is – I'm sorry. What is the name of the game you said you just released on the 360? Oh, it's, um, it's Wizard Rage. So Wizard Rage on the 360, it is a very, very good um, – First-person shooter where you are wizards. So you can throw, shoot lightning, you can throw fireballs, you can teleport and do mirror images and have walls of fire. And so all sorts of really fun stuff there. Uh, but it's multiplayer only, and it's on the Xbox 360 Indie. Is there so, uh, any plans to bring that to the PC at all? Um, well, right now what I'm looking into is... Um, so far, I've been making all my stuff in uh, Game Studio, XNA Game Studio, which is kind of um, depreciating. It's kind of going away. So um, what I'm planning on doing is learning Unity this year and taking oh, nice. my – I did a dodgeball game that's very popular on the Xbox 360. So I want to use that to kind of learn. It's less complicated, so I want to use that to learn Unity. And then once I do, then I would like to bring Wizard Rage. And once it gets to Unity, it's it's everywhere. I can go to right. PC, I can go to Xbox, PlayStation, anything. That's so that's fun. that's the long answer. So it's, Wizard Rage won't come to the PC soon. Um, but, the, but, you, but you would like it to, and that's good. That 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 gives us hope that because I don't own a 360, so that gives us hope that 
one day people like me can actually play it because that's how, I love wizards and stuff. So that would be that sounds like a yeah, blast. Th- I'm I'm watching a gameplay video of it, and it reminds me a lot of a thing that used to be on an old Game Storm, and it was uh, it was actually Iron Crown Enterprises made a uh, a uh, Middle Earth role playing game, and it was actually based off of that, and it was a wizard arena shooter kind of thing and it looked uh, kind of a lot like this except you know 1995 version um oh this looks uh, fun this looks fun yeah yeah Yeah, this is uh uh, as an indie this has been my most ambitious project so i've released three independent projects and i step it up each time so so this was fun um unfortunately um i took a long time to make it and i it really should be launching on the xbox one but i i had geared it for the xbox 360. although i i believe there's still a lot of people who have 360s who haven't upgraded for various reasons because like certain games like red dead redemption which they just announced is finally having backwards compatibility but there are a lot of games that people just haven't decided to well well, I have some free game codes, too, so if you guys uh, want to give some away to any of your listeners, let me know, and I can send you guys some. Yeah, e- email me I some. Have a, I, have a, I have a 360. <clears throat> oh, email me, like, three or four, and I'll give one to Hunter, and then I'll give away the other ones. That sounds good. All right. Well, uh, Brett, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this uh, relatively old yet still amazing and fun game. And we're going to try and get you back. We definitely want to schedule some multiplayer with you. Does it uh, feel weird that it's a 16-year-old game? It does a little bit. It, it does, <laughs> yeah, it's it all, does, it does it's a little bit. It's almost old enough to vote. Ah, it, it does a little bit. And, yeah, it still holds up. It's so good. It's still – oh, we lost Ken. Well, nobody, yeah, uh, it, but nobody has actually made anything that approximates this game no, in no, forever. Not really. So so right. it, it's still great to return to this every now and again to just feel that beast – of a ship and feel that and to see those, sh- those great ships models just blow apart piece by piece. That is just a joy right there. Um, but yeah, so, uh, folks next week on the show, real quick, we're going to have the, uh, developer of Galactineers. And since he's in Europe, that's going to be an early show, 6 a.m. My time. Uh, so that's going to be fun. And, um, <laughs> Thursday so called Galactic Beers. Yes. Yes, Galactic. Oh, it's Jersey. a German game. It's a okay. German game. Actually, he is German. Um, and right now in the poll for uh, the game for the game for the week, which was going to go up uh, probably tomorrow, as you hear this, uh, the poll right now, uh, Order of War, World Order of Battle, World War Two is winning by one vote. So if you want to vote, go to game, SpaceGameJunkie.com and vote for whatever game I will play on Thursday night. So Brent, again, thank you so much, and I'm going to talk to you about arranging a lunch because you're oh, okay. so close. That'll be a blast. But uh, folks, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Good night. Thank you much, guys. All right, good night. Let's have some music in here, Boiler. Sure thing. <laughs> Guys, you're 